Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber. And today's EdCast is for all those who seek to become a better education leader. Maybe you're listening to this on your lunch break and having had a busy morning with dozens of things running through your mind for the afternoon. Well, fear not, we're here to help today. Joining us are Meta McGarvey and Jerry Murphy, faculty in the upcoming Professional Ed Institute, Inner Strengths of Successful Leaders with 10 minutes of hopeful enlightenment. Welcome to the EdCast. Thank you. Nice to be here. So I guess let's just jump in. There's a lot of ways to approach leadership, uh, leadership training, and your focus is on this practice of mindful leadership. For those who are maybe not familiar with it, what is mindfulness, mindful leadership, and uh, how you become a mindful leader? So mindfulness is really a series of skills that have the goal of helping you be more present, more clear, more calm, more focused, more able to uh, stay grounded and centered in the heat of things, in the midst of the fray, uh, which is greatly escalated in the case of leadership, although no doubt we all uh, suffer from overload these days. Um, and so we work both to deal with the difficulties as well as to build resilience and wellness and thrive through these mindfulness practices in the specific context of educational leadership, the challenges and joys that are specific to educators. And I may just add about leadership, we typically focus on leaders in positions of, of authority, those who head of organizations, uh, but also leadership can take place outside positions of authority. I think about teachers, I think about others who really mobilize resources to make good things happen. So the audience for our activities are those in those specific leadership positions and others who don't normally think of themselves as leaders. Before we jump into the actual practice of mindfulness, has leadership changed over the years? You guys have been doing things like this. You've been meeting with lots of leaders over time. Has leadership changed? And if, if leadership has changed with maybe things becoming more busy with the emergence of the internet and cell phones and everyone being connected, uh, has mindfulness in this mindful approach to leadership, has that been even more important now? I think leadership has changed in a couple of ways. One is it's, it's changed in the public perception as to its importance, and it kind of ebbs and flows. There have been times when people don't think leadership is very important at all. Uh, I think we're in a period where people are really looking to leadership to help bring about changes uh, with many of the problems we're dealing with. I think the way it's changed, and the second way it's changed, is I think with all the pressures, it's much more difficult now. It's always been hard to do the work of leadership but I think uh, it's even more difficult now. I agree, and there's just uh, one more thing that I would add to that. You know, I, I also see a great interest, especially in younger leaders, in a form of distributive leadership these days. I think that's creating some new trends um, in the way that leadership will be going in the next decade. But paradoxically, to my view anyway, at the same time, I also see uh, a certain percentage of leaders in the context of that change in the conception of leadership kind of doubling down on authority in a way that really is ineffective and, and counterproductive. And so it's not just a generation gap. I think that, that some leaders are really struggling not only with the intense overload and kind of busyness of that everyone suffers from in our culture, but with that kind of change in how leadership might function. 
So the stage is set. We, we get leadership now. And let's focus now on an institute to allow leaders to truly flourish, to thrive in a, in a unique way. Uh, your institute, um, Inner Strengths of Successful Leaders, um, there's a certain level of vulnerability um, and deep trust that forms from that. Uh, that happens within these, these few days that they're with you. Uh, walk us through a sort of slice of the day. Share with us a little bit about what a leader would come in to expect and then hopefully leave with. Well, certainly a big part of the day um, throughout the day is doing various kinds of mindfulness practices. And by that, I mean practices that really are about getting more present with whatever's going on. So it may or may not involve meditation. We, we do have meditations that are involved in the workshop, but we have other kinds of exercises as well. Some of them are very fun and lively and playful. And you know that's part of what I think is really important with these practices is that you keep a light touch, right? That we come in heavy enough. Um, so, you know, throughout the day, there's periods for um, presentations, you know, like, like getting knowledge about the state of the science. And there's a lot of fascinating brain science right now. There's always time for various kinds of meditation practices, inner reflections, small group conversations, um, some kind of lively on your feet activities, and, um, and a little bit of kind of restful stretching and, and things of that sort. Um, I'm a add in terms of what they leave with, which is different from what a lot come with, is that a lot come having a tough time on the job, also having a lot of joy, but having a tough time on the job. And they come with the view that they must be alone. And what they discover early on uh, is that everybody in the room can describe the joys of the work, but also the difficulties, the problems that they've had, the frustration, how to deal with the, all the demands, and so on. So that's it, we get kind of an instant, phew, you mean I'm not the only one who's having all these difficulties. Um, second thing that I think that they leave with, uh, that we try to put forward is a, what I think of as the bumper sticker for the Institute, which is, it's okay not to be okay. Hmm. And the basic argument there is, you know, we all have faults and flaws and make lots of mistakes, and the nature of leadership is those flaws and mistakes are really put out right in front of you so everybody can see them. And the argument that we're making is that that's human, that's normal, and you need to figure out how to deal with them, but the way to deal with them is not to blame yourself and beat yourself up because you have some flaws. That only makes it worse, of course. We then add energy to a bad situation. But, you know, I mean, everyone makes mistakes, of course, and um, in leadership, those are amplified tremendously because of the public role that you play. And that's a very particular kind of pain, and I think it's very helpful for leaders to be in the context of that with each other. Um, in addition to that sort of pain of leadership, we really aspire to create a place where people can not only explore that, but also have a break, you know? Like, like realize that it's possible to, um, leaders, leaders, especially educational leaders, they tend to be doers and they tend to be givers, right? So they don't necessarily take time to slow down take care of themselves, connect with their colleagues. So a great deal of the workshop is in that connection with each other, building the trust to be able to be real about you know, the day-to-day -day stresses of leadership. If I could just pick up one point on that. I remember here many years ago being at an institute where the uh, teacher said one of the things we want to talk about is you as leaders taking care of yourself. And I remember clearly, a member of the audience say, you know, what do you mean take care of myself? I'm a caregiver. 
And one of the big arguments that we make in this is if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to take care of others. And in the process of taking care of yourself, you open up to others and are able to be much more compassionate and helpful. Yeah, when when people speak about your institute, they've used the word profound, transformational, where, where there's this huge sense of self-transformation afterwards. And I think making that connection that once you transform yourself, then you can bring that back to your organization, your school, your district, and you can transform that. And I think it's important for uh, people to understand that within this moment of transform transformation of self, uh, you're taking, but then you are bringing it and giving it back. Um, give us a little bit on the clarifying of values and the sort of quality of attention that an individual can take and then bring back to their group. Well, there's really two big topics in there, so let me just address the first and maybe come back to the second. We do get people saying that this is a transformational experience for them, and that's joyful for all of us. Um, but I also feel like I need to give a little reality check here. This is an, a, an inner workshop, and it's unusual in that way. Most leadership workshops are built on sort of outer skills, you know, how to do various things that get other people to do what you want them to do. Mindfulness practices are counterintuitive. You're really kind of settling back into the things that aren't working to understand them better and discern more clearly with wisdom and compassion what you can change and what you really can't change. And to change your attitude to those things that you can't change so that you're more likely to create a situation or a container, if you will, of flexibility and spaciousness that invite other people as well as yourself to show up with a little more openness and curiosity and ability to explore what you can and cannot achieve together. So I, I feel like you know I need to be a little bit real about that myth there about transformation. Yes, just, just going in and seeing that feels transformational and people do indeed start on a path where deep transformation is possible if they continue. But the idea that you can then bring that back to your organization and have quick transformational change is another myth. You can begin the process of sharing these practices and if they're beneficial to others, they will want to do them. But you can't come back and say, oh, I just had this great experience at Harvard and let me bring you in. You know, like that's, that's not a very wise return. So, so it's all about the unfolding process, both inside and within your organization. So let me just pause there, see if Jerry wants I, to. I would just add, and I, I agree with that. The, a lot of people sometimes think about mindfulness as just looking inside and it's really totally self-centered in terms of improving the way you relate to the world. But going back to the way you introduced this, the overall goal is really to transform yourself so that you can better transform the world given all the limitations that, that Meta has talked about. So this is something aimed at the organization you work in and how to make it a better organization ultimately. And the argument is unless you do this inside work, you're not going to be in as good a position to do that outside work. The, the two of you working on mindfulness is somewhat legendary around the Ed School. I've <laughs> I've never met the two of you prior to a few weeks ago, but I've heard of your reputation. I'm curious, I'm going to put it back on you now, as the leaders who teach leadership. Um, a, how did you stumble upon mindfulness? How did you stumble upon this teamwork? And then C, how have you kind of grown as leaders yourself by practicing more mindful leadership? All right, so um, let's see, how did I find mindfulness? I've been, I've had a serious committed meditation practice for 35 years now, and I have two prior degrees in Buddhist studies, so I have a real deep taproot 
in that. So that's how I came to it. Um, how I came to working with Jerry, which has been a truly wonderful development in my life, uh, is that I had the good fortune that he hired me to be his teaching fellow when he returned after he stepped down as dean and then took a few years at another university. And uh, what was the third part of your question? Uh, I think you. I think that covered most of what I was asking. I think the the sort of the teamwork component, the and how you've grown as a leader. Oh, how I've grown as a leader. So th I will just say one quick thing on that, which is that. Um, after graduation, for me, from the doctoral program, I had the opportunity to lead a very complex, sort of hairy uh, team working on the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico following the Deepwater Horizon tragedy. And it gave me an opportunity to put into practice everything that I had learned in the last decade of leadership studies at Harvard, as well as my 30 years at that point of mindfulness practice. And all I can say in this brief moment is that it, it was profound. It, it truly transformed how I was able to be as a leader in that context. And mostly it was by not going crazy over all the insanity that was going on down there and just keeping a really steady problem-solving attitude. Okay, this is a problem we can do something about. Boom, let's do it. You know what? That one, we're not going to be able to do that. Let's just let it go. Jerry, were you a mindful leader as dean, or have you become more mindful as dean emeritus? Whether or not I was mindful, let others respond okay, to that. Okay, fair uh, enough. But I will Put say, it in the comments, uh, folks. <laughs> no, no. Uh, what, uh, what I can say that was when I was dean, I knew nothing about mindfulness. And um, I came to, to mindfulness back and I stepped down as dean in 2001, I believe, and I came to mindfulness really uh, back in about 2005. And the, where it came from in part was in my teaching of leadership and my focus was really on leadership as it really is, not as we think it ought to be. I found a lot of students coming to me who had had real difficulties and didn't know how to deal with them and were kind of bearing the souls about their vulnerabilities on the job. Uh, and along about the same time, I was asked to write a chapter for um, a book of um, so-called out-of-the-box leadership. And it was an opportunity for me to think about what I've really been thinking about with these students. And so I decided to write a chapter on the pain of leadership. This was back in 2005. Uh, and I said to myself, well, who, who knows about the pain? Pain. I said psychotherapists and Buddhists, which I knew nothing about. So I began a kind of a quest back then. And then as Meta mentioned, the following year, I was looking for a um, teaching fellow for my leadership course. And to my great good luck and everlasting fortune, Meta and I met. We kind of hit, hit it off and we began including mindfulness in going back in 2006. It's worth remembering as, as an example of how things have changed. When Meta and I would introduce the course during shopping week back in 2006 and we would tell the students during that that a component of the program was mindfulness, a lot of people would get up and walk out. And it just scared a lot of people. Now other people stayed. It is so, the times are so different now than we when we began um, teaching. The other question, how, how it affect me, I asked my wife, or maybe I shouldn't, but uh, I think I'm a, when I'm practicing, I think I'm a bit calmer. I think I can take uh, stress a little bit more easily. Um, I think I don't take things as personally as I might in the past. So I just, I think I have more of a perspective on the nature of difficulties which allow me to navigate them better than I used to be able to. 
I'll underscore that point that, you know, when it shows up in your closest personal relationships, uh, whether those are work relationships or family relationships, then you know that the practice is really taking root. I myself first decided that I could have the courage to stand up and teach these practices when my mother said to me, you've changed so much. You know, it was one of the more difficult relationships in my life. And when she said that, and she's not a very, was not a very introspective person, you know, it really hit home that, okay, you know, maybe now is the moment to start sharing what I've learned that maybe, you know, I've come far enough that I can be a good co-traveler to others. It reminds me that there's a lot of uh, data collection about the effects of, of mindfulness and, and so on. And some of the best researchers suggest don't just get self-reports, ask the significant other of that person. Then you'll really find out the ways in which the individual has changed. Or not. Or not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. The upcoming institute is called Inner Strengths of Successful Leaders. I'm completely bowled over in 15 minutes sold. Hopefully you are too. It's December 3rd through December 6th. You can go to gsc.harvard.edu to learn more about signing up. Um, I must say thank you, Jerry and Meta, for being on the ACAST today and sharing with, with us all uh, these, these great tips and this great work that you do here at the Ed School. Thank you. Our pleasure, and thanks to you and all the listeners. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.